From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, happy Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks for helping us kick off another week of EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 you can always send us an email openline at ewtn.com or you can text your question text the letters ewtn to 55000 wait for a response text your first name and your question message and data rates may apply I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program and doubling up on your social media efforts today. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may get to the board here before the end of the program. Um, You can always, well actually Matt Gubensky would be the other member of the triumvirate today who's screening your phone calls. Um, And uh, our host, as he is every Monday, live from the Mount... Father John Tregilio, how are you, Father? I'm enjoying this feast of St. Lucy, who is the patron saint of Syracuse, Sicily, where my family comes from. Oh, well, there you go. Was she a mafia member? Well, (laughs) 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 we don't go into that. (laughs) Aren't there, there like, uh, two kinds of people in Sicily? Mafia members? Living living and dead, yes. Yeah, living and dead. There you go. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. We've got an email here from Christina, and she says, Thanks for the show with two exclamation points. And then she says, Is it permissible to skip the second reading at Sunday Mass? I was at a children's Mass where the priest went over to the lector and instructed him to skip the second reading. <laughs> well, the only the only instance where I could see you could skip the second reading is if uh, some natural uh, calamity like a, a flood or tornado would hit, and you got to get the people out of church. <laughs> Other than that, the second reading is obligatory, as long as well as the first, as well as the gospel, as well as the homily that follows the gospel, which can only be given by a priest or a deacon. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN. Couple of open lines at eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. So uh, Yaroslav writes in, can a man who is a Greek Catholic Rite Christian study in American Catholic seminary? Father John, God bless you, he says. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it can be done. Um, I know that there were some um, Greek Catholic seminarians who studied for a while at the Hellenic, which is the Greek Orthodox seminary in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, 
sometimes they're not able to get to their, um, either there's not a, a seminary nearby or they can't get to one that's of, of the um, Eastern Rite. Um, whether it's the other way around, I, I, I know we had, when I was at the seminary, um, he's now the uh, Archbishop of uh, Pittsburgh for all the Ruthenians. He's Archeparch Bill Skirla, but he was in the seminary with me because uh, they, didn't, they didn't have a place he could go. Um, the se- there was a seminary there, but uh, he was studying at that time for the Byzantine Franciscans. So I think it can be done. Obviously, there has to be some arrangements because they're not uh, in total full communion uh, with the uh, with the Catholic Church, but they certainly have valid sacraments, and most of their theology is on the same page as 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 uh, with the Latin rite. And Glenn writes in. He says Catholics say that the teaching of sola scriptura isn't found in the Bible, but Protestant theologians claim that because Jesus is the Word. He doesn't need to explicitly say that sola, sola Scriptura is acceptable. How do I answer this claim? Well, it's an oxymoron, because if you say Sola Scriptura, then that means only that which is in Scripture is valid. So the fact that they say that they can't find Jesus saying that in Scripture then uh, negates their proposition that it is Sola Scriptura. Um, you know, it, it's not a phrase that one finds in Scripture as it is, you know, you do not see it being said that Scripture alone uh, is, and in fact, we see the same with, um, uh, you know, uh, sola fide, that uh, um, Martin Luther coined the phrase, you know, St. James says, it is not by faith alone uh, that we are saved, but it is faith and good works uh, together. So uh, for them, (laughs) you're really, I mean, in in terms of a logical um, argument, uh, this is a, a total uh, oxymoron. You know, one of the things I find interesting about this whole debate is that if you were to adhere to a sola scriptura mentality, you're really leaving about three and a half or four centuries of Christians with nothing to stand on, huh? Absolutely. And you would not be able to to use um, chapter and verse because that was, that was added to the Bible uh, around the year 1000 by a Catholic archbishop and a Catholic priest. The actual sacred authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and St. Paul, and all the rest, they did not put chapter and verse. So if you're going to be a strict sola scriptura, you have to remove all the uh, uh, chapter and verse numbering and the actual uh, sequence of how the books are there, you know, that Matthew comes first, Mark, Luke, and John, and what books are in the Bible. So, you know, you're opening up Pandora's box if, if you do that. Okay, here we go, Scripture Scholar. Uh, David writes in, and he says, During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says not one letter should be erased from the Old Testament law. How do we reconcile this with then Jesus changing Old Testament laws, for example, the law on divorce? What he, does, what he says is, I come not to abolish law, but to fulfill it. Uh, that's a difference, because the, the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, was not fulfilled until the coming of Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And that's why we make a distinction between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant and then established the New Covenant. So uh, he, he uh, uh, sort of, fulf- by, uh, f- by fulfilling the old Mosaic law in terms of the law that came from God, not the human laws that were added uh, over the centuries, because the 600 and some laws 
that are part of the Mosaic laws. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees, they added their interpretation and then regarded them as law. And uh, Christopher writes in, still two open phone lines for you, by the way, at 833-288-EWTN. Christopher writes in, if Mary was kept free from original sin and was kept free from sin, if death is a result of sin, why did she die? Well, the church never uh, officially defined that she did die. That's why in the Greek church, uh, um, they refer to the Dormition, the sleeping of Mary. And in the Latin church, uh, we talk about, you know, certainly as a dogma of the faith, the assumption that was proclaimed by Pope Pius XII in 1950. But we never talk about or say that it's a matter of article of, of de fide, that she physically died. Uh, Pope John Paul the Great did say that it made sense that she did insofar as that she wanted to participate fully in her son's mission. Not that she had to, but she willingly embraced it. Just like the fact that, you know, she suffered. Uh, one of the um, consequences of original sin was that not only, you know, we would die, but we'd also feel pain and misery. And certainly the, the Mary's seven sorrows show that she embraced those. So I think it was an act of her will that she was willing and docile to uh, follow her son all the way to Calvary. Straight ahead, we're talking to Veronica in St. Paul, Minnesota, James in Metairie, Louisiana, Hank in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and Stephen in the Republic of Texas, and we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. Two open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. Or you can text your question to Father Trujillo. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Trujillo. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, a hot new item from EWTN's religious catalog during this Advent season is a Peace Tabletop Nativity. And that's P-E-A-C-E. This beautiful gold and ivory nativity is displayed amid large decorative blue letters that spell peace. It features the Holy Family, the Magi, and the Shepherd with his Lamb, all solidly mounted on a gold and blue base surrounded by ornate gold filigree. It's hand-painted and made of poly resin. So it's jack-proof from breaking. 
And uh, it's available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com, where they're offering free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. That's the uh, beautiful Peace Tabletop Nativity at EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One open phone line for you at 833-288-3986. First up today is Veronica in St. Paul, Minnesota, watching EWTN television today. Veronica, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Yes, hello. Hello. Hi. Yes, I, I, I would I like to ask a question about speaking in tongues. Um, is it is it wrong to have someone who speaks in tongues pray over you? Uh, how do you how are they authorized to do that? And is that a police in the church that they really are legitimate? Um, that happened to me at a at a party once, and uh, before I knew it, they were praying over me uh, and speaking in tongues, and I I I didn't I was very uncomfortable because I thought I was doing something very wrong. Okay, well, um, there is what they call the Catholic Charismatic Movement, and each diocese has a representative uh, for that community, and there is the phenomena of glossolalia, which is speaking of tongues. One of the things I just caution people is that, as we see in the New Testament, one, no one can demand those gifts, and they are gifts of the Holy Spirit, so, you know, you could ask for it, but if you don't get it, it's not because you didn't pray hard enough or that you're not worthy. And in addition to the gift of tongues, there's the gift of interpreting tongues. And uh, whenever you feel uncomfortable, then, you know, that's something that you need not to do uh, if it's not helping you in your spiritual life. Just like not everybody is comfortable in going to uh, the extraordinary form of the Mass. They don't like, so not everyone's comfortable with the Latin. Uh, not everybody's comfortable in going to uh, the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, because uh, it may be an old Slavonic. Uh, you may not feel comfortable with the charismatic uh, um, style of spirituality or Opus Dei. Any number of things that are approved by the Church. So we don't want to necessarily poo-poo things that are accepted, but the same token, you know, you should not feel guilty if... If you don't feel a part of it or that it's helpful to you, just like there are different spiritualities, Franciscan, Dominican, Jesuit, uh, Redemptorist, uh, Benedictine, and so forth. So if you feel uncomfortable, you know, then that's just a sign that maybe that's not for you. But the same token, as long as they're following uh, the regulations of, of the local diocese, uh, I don't see a problem with it. God bless you, Veronica. Thanks so much for this uh, phone call during this wonderful Advent season. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Hank in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, also watching EWTN-TV today. Hank, happy Advent. Welcome to Open Line Monday. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I would like to know... Uh, my wife and I were married for 65 years, and she just passed away about, oh, maybe a month ago. And I was wondering <laughs> and praying every night that we would meet again in heaven. Is there a possibility? Oh, I would say absolutely. Um, if if she's and I'm, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, pray for you and pray for repose of her soul. Uh, if she's in heaven and you get to heaven, 
you're definitely going to be able to see each other, recognize each other, because that's what we call the communion of saints. We're not all on our own little individual cloud floating around, minding our own business. It's the family of God. It's in hell where there's utter, total isolation. You're separate from everyone, uh, especially separated from God, but also from everyone else. So in heaven, there is that beautiful communio, communion, being united with. So yes, and no matter what age, you know, your wife passed away, and whatever age you are, uh, my mother had a three-day-old um, uh, baby, my sister, when she passed, and then I had a brother who was 26, one who was 33. My grandparents were very old when they died. I don't think they're going to be, you know, they will not appear to us at that chronological age that they died because that's their physical body. I think God will infuse into our intellects. We'll be able to recognize them, however, you know, that appearance might be. All right. Thank you, Hank. We appreciate the phone call. Next up is James in Metairie, Louisiana, also watching on EWTN television today. James, you're on with Father Tregilio. Uh Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Father. Um, a question about the uh, uh, Adoration Chapel. We have a large main church, and the Adoration Chapel is connected to it. And I visit church every day, uh, just for a little bit. And uh, when I look in the Adoration Chapel, there's, normal, there's always somebody in there, sometimes five, sometimes ten. Uh, but in the large church, and I mean a pretty large church, there's nobody in there. And I usually just sit in the main church alone in front of the tabernacle, let's say the first pew. And um, is, is there, I mean, what is, what is the difference, I guess, in the real, um, the real presence is in both, uh, in the tabernacle and the exposed uh, host in the Adoration Chapel. So what, should I be in the Adoration Chapel, or am I fine where I'm at? Well, you, you are fine where you're at because that is the real presence, and Jesus is not more present uh, when the Blessed Sacrament is exposed. It's just that you must have at least one person uh, when the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, and that's for both reverence and for safety, so that no one would, God forbid, go there and, and desecrate or steal. Um, but in, in terms of the tabernacle, uh, it's a massive, I mean, they weigh a lot, they're well fitted in there, so the danger to the Blessed Sacrament is certainly not as grave in the church as it would be in the chapel. And it is, you know, required that at least one person be there when Jesus is exposed in the monstrance, or sometimes they have that tabernacle where you open the little door and you can see the host. But in the main body of the church where the tabernacle, which hopefully is in the middle of the sanctuary, uh, you, you're, you get as much grace there. You can pray the rosary there and get the same plenary indulgence as you would praying before the monstrance, it's just an, uh, the idea of, um, you know, you must have at least one person in the Eucharistic chapel. Uh, you do not have to have that uh, in the main church. Does that help, James? Could I, well, yes, it did. Yeah, I have one quick question, um, if I could ask that, um, Father. Uh, the, the pre-recorded video masses on EWTN, um, they, they're not considered you attend, you're even watching a mass that's, uh, that's live. Uh, the mass is very early in the morning that's live, and then it's, it's played over again two or three times during the day. Mm -hmm. um, since the mass is, I look at it this way, 
since the mass is probably being said somewhere in the world at exactly the same time that I'm watching the recorded mass on video, um, you know, what's, I mean, should I just get up earlier and make sure I get that, uh, the, you know, the, the live mass, or if I miss that, the video mass is, um, does it, is it the same? Uh, yeah. Um, you know? uh, I'm glad you asked that because I think the Vatican did make a, a decree, um, on that some, you know, when they started the practice of having actually recorded television and radio. And when radio and television first came out, everything was live. But uh, you can make a spiritual communion, and while you watch a recorded Mass, you get the same spiritual benefit, whether it's live or recorded. It's just that it would not fulfill your obligation. If you're able to get to Mass on a holy day or on a Sunday, then you must go. Uh, but if you don't are dispensed in any way, shape, or form... Uh, you can watch it on television or listen to it on the radio. It could be live or recorded. You get the same benefit. Thanks. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-3986. Next up is Stephen in the Republic of Texas, also watching on EWTN television today. And Stephen, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Yes, uh, I started watching and, and uh, I guess participating in the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and I've got a little booklet that you know covers the the chaplet, the steps, and all. And like step six, it has a prayer that uh, one of the five individuals who are leaders uh, say to the Eternal Father, and it goes like this: Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And atone for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Now, my question is, how can any person be offering the body and blood of Jesus to the Father? Okay, well, that, that's a that's a good question, and certainly, um, what we are doing is we united we are uniting ourselves with the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son, to the Father. So we are not doing it on our own. We are uniting ourselves with Jesus because at the Mass itself, when the priest is at the offertory, he says, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours will be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Your sacrifice and mine. So the priest's sacrifice is uh, the bread and wine. The people's sacrifice is we're putting ourselves on the altar, so to speak, symbolically. We're saying, Lord, everything I have, everything I am, I offer to you. So we unite, you know, we offer uh, the body, blood, soul, and divinity in the sense that we participate because we are members of the mystical body of Christ. Does that help, Stephen? Uh, yes. I've also had a little trouble with uh, the words, uh, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Uh, uh, those words just somehow, I think I've, I've been... In, gotten comfortable with them, but uh, can you expound on that? Well, I would certainly recommend that you, you read um, uh, St. Faustina's uh, diary. Uh, she explains uh, uh, when Jesus appeared to her, the apparition, and the, the things he asked that she um, relate to us in terms of the, the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Um, this is, an, remember, all these uh, apparitions are what we call private revelation. 
So you do not have to believe them in the same way that you have to believe the dogma of public revelation, like the Assumption, the um, Immaculate Conception, uh, the Incarnation and that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines and still some time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. Mary is in the great state of Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Mary, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call. What can we do for you? I, uh, I was... Yeah, I was in a recent uh, adult faith enrichment class at my parish, and one of the older um, uh, parishioners in there who, who actually used to teach RCIA for, for many years at our parish, uh, sh- she indicated that her thought was, she she put out a thought in her own mind of um, people who are more theologically advanced, have a more theological advanced mind um, going being placed at a higher level in heaven, and she used those exact words, a higher level in heaven for those with theologically advanced minds versus those who have a a simpler mind or not as theologically advanced, and I challenged her on that just because I knew that that wasn't um, revealed by the Church, and that, you know, and I pointed out the saints that I knew that had very simple minds, and and then later I even considered a, a precious young man that uh, in our parish every Sunday that has Down syndrome. Um, and I went to my parish priest, and he said, uh, no, that is not a valid thought on her part, um, that that is not revealed by the Church, and that, you know, it, we're all called to be saints. And, I, and, and the other thing that she pointed out was, Father, was that Mary was placed at a higher level, and I said, well, Mary's the mother of God. She's sinless. Um, none of us are going to be Mary, you know? <laughs> um, and I just wanted to get your mind your thoughts on it father um is that a valid thought that someone with a theological uh, advanced mind would be placed at a higher level than someone not with a theological advanced mind yeah all i can say is lucifer <laughs> lucifer the devil was one of the highest angels that god created because his very name lucifer light bearer meant he was extremely intelligent. He was one of the most intelligent of all the angels, and look where he ended up. <laughs> so uh, your theological intelligent quotient, uh, your your Theo IQ, as they say, uh, does not uh, have any bearing on your level in heaven because it's based on grace. Grace is a free gift that God offers that we either accept or reject, and the more grace we accept, the more we're capable of receiving. And so, yes... You know, as you mentioned that the example of the young man who has Down syndrome, you know, and some of these, some people, because of their perpetual innocence, they're almost incapable of committing a, a mortal sin. And, uh, you know, th- they've got almost a guaranteed path of holiness because certainly if they've been baptized uh, uh, and become a child of God, you know, they're not able because they don't have the, the if you don't have at least what we call um, the level of age of reason 
which you know typically occurs at the age of seven, but some adults don't have that because of some uh, mental uh, problems they may have uh, physiologically or or otherwise. So yeah, she's completely off base totally, and it's and it's not just a bizarre idea; it contradicts what the church says that you know your intelligence, like someone like Thomas Aquinas, he used it uh, with God's grace and became one of the brightest. Uh, lights in in the Catholic Church, but look through all of human history. Some of the most intelligent people uh, went the bad way. So, um, yeah, I would say I was just nervous if she taught our CIA and CCD, if she ever espoused this uh, openly to other people. Thanks, Mary. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Jasmine is on Long Island. She's watching us on YouTube today. Jasmine, you're on with Father Trujillo. Yes, hi. Good afternoon, Father Trujillo. Thank you so much for taking my call. My question is as follows. Um, I have a friend whose name was Elizabeth, and she changed her name from Elizabeth to a Denise. Now, she and I have gotten into a, some type of debate because I'm telling her that she was in, um, baptized under, Denise was baptized under the Elizabeth name, and um, I wasn't aware of any saint being named Denise. Um, so her argument towards me is that um, Jesus, when Jesus walked around the earth, Jesus was changing everyone's name. So that's her <laughs> argument. So can you please um, let me know? Um, just yeah. Because... Um, does she have to go ahead and be um, rebaptized under that name? Is it a big sin, um, you know, in the future? I don't Yes. No, uh, um, your friend's a little, a little confused, but uh, it may not be her fault. Uh, when Jesus changed the name, like Simon to Peter, all right, he's called St. Peter. He's not called St. Simon. And Saul of Tarsus became St. Paul. And elsewhere in the Bible, you know, um, you know names have been changed you know, um, Nathaniel and so forth. But when you're baptized, and especially when you're given the, the name of a saint, that becomes your patron saint, whatever people call you. Because I know some people, you know, uh, they they were baptized, you know, John Mark, and then they go by Mark. Uh, they You can go by whatever name you want to go by. You can go have it legally changed in the courts, uh, in the civil court. But in the eyes of God, you're, you're what you were called the day you were baptized. That's, that's your adoption day into God's family. And that's your patron saint. And that's what, you know, you're going to be known as upstairs if you get to heaven someday, God willing. Um, people will change their names. They'll go by um, nicknames, okay? My name is John, but I know some people will go by uh, Jack, or they go by Sean, or, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes sign my name Giovanni, which is the Italian version. But St. John's my patron saint, and that's what, you know, is going to be hopefully in the funeral um, register at the parish. And I know it's on my tombstone because I saw it already <laughs> when we bought the family plot that was put there in the marble. So uh, I don't think it's a big issue that definitely you cannot rebaptize anyone. Once you're baptized, you're baptized forever. And even if you have your name changed, some of these people who think they can have their gender changed, you are what you are. And I, some lady uh, went to a friend of mine, a priest, and said, you know, can she have uh, her gender changed? Because I guess she was a, originally a man. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, you're ontologically what you are, and we're not going to 
change church records just like someone wants that you know they have a their godparents no longer practicing catholic you can't go and correct it in the book you're you're stuck with them 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Michael in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, you're on with Father John. Thank you both, and Merry Christmas to both of you. Um, This is about confession, Father. You know, Mm -hmm. for me, uh, going to confession is a way of gaining peace and removing sin, especially during the Christmas season. So why do some Catholics simply avoid the sacrament of confession? <laughs> I really don't know because it's painless and it's um, cost-free. I mean, no one charges you. You don't have to pay anything for it. And it's not like the old, old, old days. When I was a little kid, yeah, you run into maybe once here or there an old crusty Monsignor who might, might raise his voice a little bit. That has not happened in over 50 or 60 years or, or more. So um, priest, I'm here at the seminary. We have 160 guys studying for the priesthood. I, I help teach with other priests, uh, what they call penance practicum, how to do penance. And we tell them, look, you have to be very compassionate, very patient. You never raise your voice. You never yell at anyone because they offended God, not you. So there's no reason not to go. And what I find so amazing is that the people who don't go to confession because they, quote-unquote, don't want to tell uh, a human being, even though he's ordained to act in persona Christi, but they'll go on social media and tell everybody every disgusting, horrible thing they've ever done. So they're telling the world, and there's no seal of confidentiality there. But I can tell a priest, and he can't tell anyone, but they won't do that. I have no idea. Is that helpful, Michael? It does. Thank you both. Merry Thanks, Michael. Bon Natale. We appreciate it. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We still have time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. Daniel would like to know what's the difference, What what is the Catholic's understanding of the term anointed, and how does it differ from a Pentecostal understanding? Okay, well, in the Catholic uh parlance anointing means literally to impose oil on someone so for instance at baptism we have the oil catechumens that the priest or the deacon puts uh on the uh, just above the breast uh, bone there and then the uh, chrism oil that put on the top of the head after the baptismal waters have been poured and the and the invocation of the holy trinity is made uh, when the bishop anoints with chrism oil on the forehead at confirmation uh, when i was ordained a priest the uh, oil was, chrism oil was put on my hands. I was anointed then. And when uh, a priest becomes a bishop, uh, the other bishops anoint his head with the chrism oil. Uh, and then, of course, anointing of the sick. The oil, uh, oil of the sick is uh, put on the forehead and on the hands of the person being anointed. So in a Catholic um, school, so to speak, anointing means the use of oil, olive oil that's been blessed by the bishop at the chrism mass. In the Pentecostal, and some other Christian denominations, they refer to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is uh, a spiritual anointing. Uh, some people even use the terminology uh, oil of gladness. Uh, this is not a physical anointing. It's analogous, but strictly speaking, uh, anointing uh, actually is, involves the use of oil. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Uh, Anthony writes in, he says, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 to 30, it says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have sinned, and if your eyes cause you to sin, you should pluck them out. The first statement seems literal, but the second statement seems like hyperbole. How, how is the reader supposed to differentiate between literal and hyperbole? Well, this is why God gave us common sense, okay? And this is why we have a teaching authority, the magisterium, to help us if our common sense isn't where it should be. Obviously, the church for the last 2,000 years has authentically and officially interpreted that we do not literally pluck out our eyes. But if you look at a woman with lust, you know, or you look at anyone with lust, you know, that you've committed adultery in your heart, uh, obviously we take that uh, literally. Uh, but the most important thing is that we, we must interpret things faithfully and taking them in context. I go back to what Father Levis of Happy Memory used to always say. You take a text out of context, you have a pretext. So we can't just take these phrases of Jesus out and then have them floating around by themselves. It's always within context. And the fact that Jesus did not physically pop out anybody's eyeballs or chop off anyone's hands, and the fact the apostles didn't do that is a sign that they did not take that literally. But they did take faithfully the idea that you can sin uh, against the sixth and ninth commandment, even if it's not physical, because that's part of the ninth commandment. Sixth is the physical act of uh, adultery, and then you've got the ninth commandment, which is the coveting, which is the, you know, the intellectual uh, part of the sin. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight. 3986. Kathy is in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Kathy, you're on with Father John. Hi. Um, I, um, a couple months ago, got confirmed Catholic. I was baptized Catholic, Holy Communion Catholic, but then my parents start going to a Methodist church, so I didn't really learn about Catholicism. And I was listening to Catholic Radio a couple years ago. And it start making a lot of sense, so I got confirmed Catholic. But I don't know. It's like maybe I'm spoiled by some of the Protestant churches I went to or something. Now I I'm just starting to feel so overwhelmed by all the complications that you have to learn about the Catholic Church, and I feel like. I don't have any, like, I'm losing my joy with it. Like, how, how do I find joy going to the Catholic Church? I, I mean, another church would be simpler, and you give money and you help people. It's, it's narrower in, in their thoughts. And okay, well, um, first of all, I want to welcome you into full communion with the church that I received the sacrament of confirmation. I think, you know, if you compare apples and oranges, you know, you can obviously see that there's differences. You know, in the Catholic Church, we have what we call the fullness of grace because we have all seven sacraments, where in the other churches, they typically only have two. And we have the fullness of truth because we have sacred scripture and sacred tradition, which is um, under the um, guidance of of the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church. 
So we have a lot more to offer uh, in the Catholic Church. It's not that the other churches don't offer anything. They do. We just out offer the most, everything that, that Jesus has given us because he established the church on the rock of Peter. He says, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates hell will not prevail against you. So to whom much is given, much is expected. So it may seem somewhat complicated, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, that was the whole purpose of why Father Briganti and I, you know, we, we wrote Catholicism for Dummies, is to show that, you know, uh, it is for everyone. You don't have to be an expert to know and understand the faith. We obviously do have some experts. I'm surrounded by priests who are experts in theology and canon law and scripture and, and, and so forth. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a parish priest, uh, basically, and, um, you know, I'm not as uh, erudite as, as my brethren. And we say to the seminarians, look, no one's going to ask you what your GPA was when you were in the seminary, but they want it to be assured that you're going to preach orthodoxy and that you're going to celebrate the sacraments validly and reverently and that you're going to have a pastoral priestly heart. So I would say don't worry about having, you know, a theological intelligent quotient, as we just mentioned from a few questions ago. The most important thing is that you're going to receive all of God's graces, and he's going to give you the graces you need so that you could become, God willing, a saint in heaven. And you've got all the saints in heaven, all the souls in purgatory praying for you and with you, and that's something that you can count on. And yes, you can find joy in the Catholic Church. You can find joy uh, in the real presence when you go to Adoration Chapel. Uh, we just celebrated the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe. I mean, I saw people singing and just tears of joy uh, coming down their eyes, uh, whether it's 40 hours or uh, a celebration of, of, a, of a feast day like Guadalupe or Christmas or you know Epiphany or whatever. So yes, it's there. It may be hidden a little bit, but it's, it's like a Christmas present, you know. What's under the wrapping is very nice. Check out uh, More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. They'll talk about the gift of giving. Are you struggling to manage the balance between giving too much versus too little of yourself to others? Uh, Dr. Greg and Lisa will help you be generous without taking on more responsibility than necessary. That's More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Lisa in Louisville, Kentucky, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lisa, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, I've always learned that God reveals himself in nature, like through the sunsets and the skies and the stars. And so when you look at nature, you see that God is creative and powerful and loving and giving and constant, which is awesome. So how do we go ahead and explain nature when it's destructive, such as like in storms when they knock down houses and hurt people? So if you could explain the good stuff with God, how do you explain the other? Uh, that's a very, very good question. And first of all, our hearts and our prayers go out to all the victims of, the, of those horrible tornadoes that hit the, hit the Midwest uh, the, over the weekend. Um, this was not part of God's plan originally because when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, it was the Garden of Paradise. There was tranquility in the world and in the universe. Original sin not only brought death, but also pain and suffering. And part of that is even in the natural world, in the natural universe, uh, there is uh, chaos. Uh, that was 
all part of sin, that, that it, there were ripples effect, that not only did we get kicked out of the garden of paradise, not only did we, no, we made ourselves unable to get to heaven until we had the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, Jesus, come and die for our sins, but all the things that happened in the world, the natural disasters, you know, that's all can be traced back, you know, to Adam and Eve. And uh, even though uh, it may not be what we call uh, human evil, it's what we call a, a natural evil. And it, it, God did not create it that way. Just like he did not create the devil as the devil, he created him as an angel, Lucifer. He became evil, and evil has a way of harming and disrupting the peace and tranquility around it. So whether it's the evil of a person or the evil of, of, a, of a fallen angel or even the physical evil, there's going to be suffering. And yet God permits this, okay? It's part of his permissive will, not his ordained will, because great good can come out of that in the sense that look at all the people who are helping each other. It makes us, you know, uh, cherish uh, the real things that matter like life and health and family uh, as a, and just like with the pandemic, you know, these are horrible things. Uh, God did not, isn't playing chess with us and saying, okay, I'm going to send down a, a virus now, or now I'm going to send down a tornado. He's not like Zeus who's throwing lightning bolts uh, from Mount Olympus, but he allows things to follow their natural course and natural disasters are part of the equation, which again, you know, uh, original sin is certain, certainly the, the origin of, of all this. And yet, the war, most important thing is that we persevere in faith and we help each other. That's what love of neighbor is about. Next stop is the great state of Minnesota. Scott is in Minnesota listening on Real Presence Radio. Scott, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father Scott. I guess I have a question here. Well, actually, two quick questions. I don't want to take much of your time here. And that was really good, what I heard you just say about, you know, how sin happened uh, the Garden of Eden. That really... I'm a Catholic, a devout. I've always been a Catholic ever since I've been a kid. I own a house in the state. And then um, other than that, Father, um, I guess uh, my father was 56 years old. I'm going to be 55 this coming April. Uh, but uh, my father was a very hard man and a moneymaker, big farmer. And uh, other than that, you know, he had a lot of depression problems and he in uh, 2002 he committed suicide took a bunch of pills and uh, committed suicide other than that he he was a hard man and it's just okay in the bible does it say if you commit suicide do you go serve time in hell do you ever get to heaven or what yeah i'm very sorry for your loss and i had a priest friend of mine who was only ordained five years in the priesthood, and he suffered from clinical depression. Uh, Father Benedict Rochelle, of happy memory, was treating him and said he never saw such a, a, a worst case of clinical depression. And unfortunately, he hanged himself. Now, uh, in the old days, you know, if you committed if you committed suicide, you were denied a Catholic burial, and the family sort of you know went through a life uh, you know ashamed because you know it was felt that. You know that their, their, their loved one went to hell, but the churches understand that you know the act of suicide is separate from what caused the suicide. And if it's caused by you know emotional stress, whether it's psychological, emotional, or otherwise, uh, that's why we leave it to the mercy of God. We don't make a moral judgment, so we will 
uh, bury someone, give them a Catholic burial if they commit suicide, because it's 99% probable that, you know, they weren't in their right mind, as we would say. Uh, they, you have to be, for it to be a mortal sin, it has to be grave matter, which obviously suicide is. You have to have full consent of the will, if, obviously, if they did it. But you have to also have the intellectual and emotional capacity to understand what you're doing. All right? You may have freely done it, but do you fully comprehend what's happening? Now, in the worst-case scenario, you know, some um, terrorist, you know, straps bombs on himself and blows himself up to kill other people. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that's a sin right there. You know, I, I can't see that being anything but that. But someone who, like your father or my, my priest friend, uh, they're overwhelmed with grief and depression. If it's clinical, if it's something that was not their fault, that they had this depression and it got the better of them, uh, yeah, I, I, I leave it in the mercy of God's hands and feel that, yes, pray for him, have masses said for him. You know, uh, he, he's probably in purgatory and he will hopefully you know, get to heaven someday. Does that help, Scott? Can I ask one more question? Sure, go ahead. One quick one. And I have a cousin that drinks a lot, and he still works for a living. He doesn't drink on the job, and he works a lot. And every morning when he gets up, he says, God, please forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry. I, I want to change, you know. And, and But he, then when he gets home after work, he doesn't bother anybody, but then he breaks the promise, and he still drinks. Is that, I mean, if he dies from that, is, is that like killing yourself or what? Uh, well, it would be if you f had, again, full consent of the will. And part of the problem is, even though he's not drinking on the job, if he's addicted, it's going to diminish to some degree his culpability. So only good the good Lord would know for sure. So I would certainly keep praying for him that he get the strength and the will uh, to, um, you know, swear off this addiction. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Certainly, benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer and social media maven, Mr. Michael McCall, and our call screener, Mr. Matt Kubensky, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. Until we get together then, God bless. God bless.